This episode of the ACB Advocacy Update has been made possible in part through the support of ACB of Minnesota. You're listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the ACB Advocacy Update. Uh, joining you on National Sandwich Day, I am one of your hosts, Clark Rockfall, ACB's Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs. And I am your other host. Um, I am Swatha Nando Kumar, ACB's Advocacy Outreach Specialist. And Swatha, did you have a sandwich today? I have mac and cheese, so not similar. All right, similar, different. I mean, if it not that I had one, but if it was up to me, I would have had a crab cake or a Reuben. That's that's a good go-to for me. Love good BLT. Uh, but we're not here to talk about sandwiches. We're here to do an advocacy update podcast. <laughs> so a big hello to everyone listening via your favorite podcast player, as well as everyone out there listening on the ACB Media Network. And as always, you can find out more about the American Council of the Blind at www.acb.org. So Swatha, what what brings you to this podcast today? Our guest, um, our special guest today, um, we have Chair Andre Gallegos, who is the chair of the National Council on Disability. Hi, Andre. How are you? Hi, Swatha. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you so much for being able to join us. Yes, absolutely. Um, so tell us about NCD and your role as chairman there. Uh, I, again, I, Swatha, thank you so very much, and, and Clark for having me, and, and uh, to your colleagues there uh, at uh, ACB, the American Council of the Blind. Uh, I have the uh, distinct privilege of being uh, chairman of the National Council on Disability uh, we are a very small uh, independent federal agency. We're the smallest uh, agency in all of government. Uh, we have a very rich history, a history that traces back to 1978 when we were first established as a small advisory council within the Department of Education. And then we were transformed into an independent agency in 1984. Uh, at that time, we were charged with reviewing all federal disability policies and programs. Uh, And um, as part of that task uh, in 1986, the National Council on Disability recommended the enactment of an Americans with Disabilities Act. And we drafted the first version of that bill uh, introduced in the House and Senate in 1988. So our history, we're at the forefront of uh, the disability rights movement. Uh, and since the enactment of, of the ADA in, ni- in 1990, 31 years ago, uh, we play a leading role in uh, analyzing the needs of people with disabilities, uh, crafting policy solutions. Uh, in our advisory role to the president, uh, the administration, Congress, uh, and federal agencies, uh, we are nine council members, um, five presidentially appointed. Uh, four congressionally appointed, and we have an incredibly talented staff uh, of 11 full-time uh, employees led by our executive director, 
uh, and Summers Macintosh. Um, so again, I as as chair, it's um, my my job is easy uh, given the the presence of the and the engagement of our council members and certainly uh, through our talented staff. And Andres, you you started with the council earlier this year, correct? No, actually, I, I've this is uh, I'm going on my fourth year uh, with the council. In February of 2018, uh, I was appointed to the council uh, by Senator uh, uh, Chuck Schumer uh, from New York, and I was serving on the council uh, on the afternoon of the inauguration of President Biden uh, when he. Uh, designated me to be the chairman. And in in the role as chairman of NCD, uh, what is your vision for the council? Look, I mean, con- considering where we are and, and certainly where we were um, at, at the beginning of the year with the, uh, the COVID pandemic, uh, we, we needed to focus on uh, all issues relating to healthcare and health health, health equity. Uh, we face enormous challenges, as you know. Um, we were in the midst of an economic catastrophe. Uh, the labor participation rate for people with disabilities is less than half the net of our non-disabled counterparts. Uh, the employ- unemployment rate is nearly double of that for persons without disabilities. Uh, and those disparities contribute to a significant poverty rate among people with disabilities. That's nearly three times as high as, as people um, without disabilities. And throughout the country, uh, we continue to face a profound and longstanding housing crisis, uh, given the absence of affordable and accessible housing. Um, there's transportation barriers. There's there are so many things that we need to address uh, in education, come on, in employment, uh, in the federal fiscal policies, uh, looking at funding for Medicare and Medicaid, uh, Social Security and other federal programs uh, that are sustaining people with disabilities uh, in the country and in our territories. But all of that, um, if we were to advocate for education, for employment, for, house, for housing, transportation, et cetera, is for not, if we're not able to uh, attain good health uh, and maintain good health. We were proud of saying uh, for decades now at the National Council on Disability that attaining and maintaining good health is important for everyone, but particularly so for people with disabilities, as it is truly our, the predicate to our ability uh, to live, our ability to learn and our ability to earn uh, as well. So, so our focus and, and the focus of the council has been since I assumed uh, the position of the chair is to address health equity for people across all categories of disabilities and to address the persistent and pervasive barriers to healthcare that we've been experiencing uh, for decades. It's, it's uh, far beyond time. Uh, that we address these issues um, and that we compel our federal policymakers to to address these issues. And and, and the differences between us and our non-disabled counterparts was made crystal clear during the pandemic 
uh, when you look at the disproportionate effect that the COVID-19 virus has had on people with disabilities, not because the virus targets disability, but um, the neglect in a number of different systems uh, of our, in our federal policies uh, has created um, a vulnerability uh, to people with disabilities in, 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 a, in increasing the likelihood of, of us attaining the virus and, and having negative outcomes uh, once, once we uh, do attain uh, the virus and has just uh, contributed to a lack of resiliency to be able to bounce back, uh, to, to effectively fight back uh, against the virus. So uh, our, our focus is a long way of saying, our, our focus is, um, is on healthcare. That's our abiding focus. Now, having said that, uh, there are so many other issues as I alluded as well, and those contribute to, and, and we identify them as being the social determinants of health uh, that we uh, are looking to address and are addressing uh, at the same time, but but paramount everything is is healthcare and healthcare related. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the pandemic and equity and accessibility. Um, earlier in November, November first, um, the Justice Department reached a settlement, released a settlement with Rite Aid in Pennsylvania regarding their um, vaccine access and regarding um, testing. Um, how has that sort of changed after the pandemic? Well, you know, we we were um, dismayed at, at the fact that uh, both Department of Justice and also Health and Human Services uh, had to issue uh, bulletins to the industry uh, at the height of the pandemic, uh, reminding them that there are federal non-discrimination mandates uh, that still apply throughout the pandemic. So um, the, the concern was the, the degree of discrimination that was taking place uh, in, in terms of uh, who was going to be treated uh, if they received the virus and, and who wasn't going to be treated and, and the priority of people uh, that were going to be treated and those uh, who were not or, or who were um, put at the end of the line uh, we saw that not just with the treatment of the virus uh, at the beginning stages of the pandemic, but also once the vaccine was developed and implemented, uh, determining who gets it and who gets it as a matter of priority and, and those uh, with lesser priority. And so the Department of Justice uh, settlement agreement that was entered into uh, speaks to that latter point, right? Because Rite Aid uh, Corporation is a, is a national uh, pharmacy chain, uh, and they had a number of different issues affecting uh, their uh, on-site, I'm sorry, their uh, online registration uh, for, uh, for vaccination. Um, and, you know, this is, this is an issue that was occurring before uh, the pandemic, and that is that the vast majority of uh, websites, and particularly for uh, public accommodations, uh, organizations, and businesses that are subject to uh, the Americans with Disabilities Act uh, were just not and are not accessible uh, for many people, uh, particularly people uh, who are blind or have have low vision. So, um, so on the one hand, uh, the Department of Justice in their enforcement action 
obviously did the right thing. Uh, it's shameful that it had to even do it because that should have been uh, something that Rite Aid uh, Corporation should have should have thought of uh, when it first rolled out its its uh, its program online. Um, but uh, again, it's, it's just it's a matter of um, continued enforcement of existing American with Disability Act uh, regulations. Um, you know, you would wish that uh, actions taken by the Department of Justice against similar providers, similar public accommodations years ago would have had a resounding effect uh, throughout the country uh, and, and with companies uh, like Rite Aid, but obviously they didn't uh, because Department of Justice is still having to do these one-off enforcement actions. So, um, you know, will it, will it change uh, so that the individuals, companies voluntarily uh, do what's right and adopt uh, the, the current uh, standards for website accessibility? Uh, we hope so, but uh, that's why we have laws and that's why we have uh, Department of Justice and, you know, Department of Health and Human Services, Office of Civil Rights uh, to help enforce those laws uh, when, they, when they're not complied with. Absolutely. So speaking of um, website access, um, information access has been sort of vital to people with disabilities um, as well as the pandemic and through the pandemic. Um, do you think that, or does MTV think that there are clear guidelines from the DOJ or um, from the government um, regarding accessibility standards in websites and applications and other IT or technology? So um, the, the short answer is no, right? Um, but what we see is that in many instances, uh, either healthcare providers <clears throat> or other companies that are subject to uh, the requirements of the ADA that are covered entities uh, under the Americans with Disabilities Act uh, hide behind uh, the lack of specificity in many instances uh, in the uh, regulations implementing the Americans with Disabilities Act. So um, I'm, I'm, let me just say that the National Council on Disability um, does not favor uh, regulation just to have regulation, but uh, in, in this particular instance, uh, for the past 31 years, um, companies have not really been fully compliant with their non-discrimination mandates in the existing regulations um, because there lacks specificity, particular in this particular area. There's not, there's not a, a specific requirement under the ADA uh, to ensure that websites and kiosks uh, et cetera, and new new technologies that are emerging, particularly uh, the um, the telehealth that we've seen very prominent during uh, during the pandemic, uh, to ensure that those platforms are going to be accessible uh, upon design um, for all people with disabilities, uh, and that's not happening. In large part, it's not happening um, because there's there lacks specificity uh, in the regulations. Uh, Department of Justice. And Health and Human Services Office of Civil Rights, they'll say, look, there's the overarching obligation, right, under the laws that uh, people with disabilities are 
required to be provided an equal opportunity to benefit from the goods, the facilities, and the services uh, of a particular company. Uh, and it's under that overarching obligation that this requirement that that websites, that um, internet platformed um, based applications uh, be accessible, but uh, that that's missing. Um, there's a number of other areas where we think, particularly in healthcare, that we think it would be uh, incredibly informative and instructive uh, for more specificity uh, in those regulations. With regards to uh, the, the comments that you just made, uh, do you think it's necessary for Congress to pass legislation to provide the authority to create you know, enforceable legal standards for websites, applications, and online services? Or is this power that the uh, Department of Justice and other federal agencies have the authority to do already? Uh, so I, I believe that um, that both the Department of Justice and and other agencies of jurisdiction have uh, the ability to do that uh, through rulemaking uh, right now. Um, uh, every, every agency that implements uh, the Americans with Disabilities Act is responsible for, for their own regulations. So um, I, I think that within the rulemaking ability through the Department of Justice, that, that they have the ability to, to create very specific uh, regulations to, to address that particular issue. Great, thank you. Uh, outside of the pandemic, there are still some longstanding accessibility barriers when it comes to healthcare for uh, you know, members of ACB and more broadly the, bri- the blind and low vision community. Uh, one of those is uh, the lack of enforceable accessibility standards for durable medical equipment. Uh, Mr. Chairman, in your opinion, what needs to be done um, to provide greater accessibility for people who are blind and visually impaired and blind and low vision when it comes to durable medical equipment, such as continuous glucose monitors and insulin pumps, just to name a few, because diabetes and diabetic retinopathy are the leading cause of blindness for working age adults in America. Look, um, in a, in a perfect world, uh, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services uh, would not purchase any uh, durable medical equipment, glucose monitors, uh, and other types of equipment uh, that is critically necessary uh, for people with disabilities, and particularly when we talk about glucose monitors um, and other uh, insulin devices uh, that are not that are not accessible, right? And so. Um, if CMS uh, would take the position that um, they're only going to acquire that uh, which is truly accessible, um, then that would make a significant, significant difference. You know, that's a, that's a policy statement. Uh, that's not changing any regulations or enacting uh, legislation. But, you know, we, we, ha- we have the ability within government to make smart decisions adjustments to existing procurement policies to ensure that people who are blind, people with low vision, and other people uh, with disabilities, the deafblind community, for instance, is able to uh, have a choice of that equipment uh, that they can procure um, either through 
prescription or uh, over-the-counter, and that's readily available to them. So again, in the perfect world. And, you know, as, as uh, the federal voice uh, for people with disabilities to the federal government, uh, that's something that we're going to continue to to champion and try to get done. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of going moving on from that, um, October was the National Disability Employment Awareness Month or NDEAM. Um, and in the past, um, NCD has been very vocal about sub-minimum wage legislation um, and um, so I just want to get thoughts on that and on the future of employment and um, how do you stop and how, how does it currently? Well, we, we continue to champion the elimination of subminimum wage. Uh, that is uh, something that was developed um, some considerable time ago that uh, continues today and is just a relic uh, with respect to uh, where disability policy is uh, currently. Um, as you know, as you alluded to, um, we've, we've made uh, significant recommendations uh, in the recent past to replace the AbilityOne program um, because it wasn't doing what it had originally intended to be do, to, to do. And you know, despite increased program revenue earned through sales to the federal government, uh, the employment of people who are blind uh, has remained stagnant, and the employment of people with significant disabilities has declined over the Ability One program uh, over the past eight years. Uh, it undermines uh, the payment of subminimum wages, undermines the current national disability policy goals to create competitive integrated employment opportunities. Uh, for people with disabilities. And we voice repeated concerns about the transparency and conflicts of interest uh, that remain un- unaddressed and undermine the confidence uh, in the program. Uh, you know, what, what we're in favor of and we're, what we're championing uh, is certainly competitive integrated employment and um, the use of Section 503 of the Rehabilitation Act to uh, to incentivize federal contractors to hire a percentage of people who are blind or have significant disabilities at competitive wages and uh, to transition the approximately 43,000 people uh, who are Ability One employees or Ability One workers uh, into competitive and integrated employment. Um, and we would prefer that than expanding the current structure of the Ability One program. Uh, right now. So, you know, there's, there's other challenges, though, uh, other than subminimum wage. Uh, when you look at the workforce and integrating uh, people who are blind or low vision uh, within the economy uh, is ensuring that they have uh, access to uh, supports, systems, and equipment that's going to be accessible to them uh, in the workplace. And, uh, and given the shift during the pandemic, of employment to uh, people uh, working from their homes, uh, we need to make sure that one, the internet is accessible and available uh, to everybody, particularly people in rural communities uh, and is affordable. Uh, But second, that 
everything that is on the internet um, is in fact accessible uh, to people who are blind uh, or, or have low vision as well. Uh, Mr. Chairman, thank you for that, that final point, especially that's key to the work that we do here with ACB. Uh, the ACB is represented on the Federal Communication Commission's Consumer Advisory Committee, as well as Disability Advisory Committee. Uh, we are an outreach partner for the Emergency Broadband Benefit Program. Um, so like you said, ensuring that everyone has uh, broadband available to them, uh, ensuring that it is affordable so that they are able to adopt and use the service, but also ensuring that the, the technology, the hardware that they are using to connect to the internet, as well as the, uh, the services and the websites and applications like we discussed earlier are accessible to them so that folks are able to be gainfully employed, uh, active members of their community, uh, complete distance and remote learning uh, to provide themselves with greater uh, opportunities and quality of life. That's all very important to our, our members and the work that we're doing. Critically important um, for, for the well-being of, of people with disabilities. And, uh, you know, wouldn't the federal government want to have more tax-paying employees in the workforce and uh, not providing uh, that technology and uh, not being um, more deliberate and conscious of the needs for people with disabilities as these new technologies emerge uh, is, a, is a failing that has economic consequences uh, to the country as well. Because if you can't uh, make any significant improvement uh, uh, to the employment and uh, for people with disabilities at competitive wages and integrated employment, um, then you know you're you you don't grow your tax base, um, and and certainly uh, I don't know that uh, while no one likes paying federal taxes, uh, certainly if, if you have a full time uh, job and you're being paid fair wages, uh, people with disabilities are 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 taxpayers just like anybody else. And in many cases, it certainly beats the alternative, right? It it, it, it does, it does, it does beat the alternative. Here, here's something that, that I think that we cannot do at the National Council on Disability, but um, what the American Council of the Blind and, and other like nonprofits can do, and that is really do a, a focus, undertake a focus campaign uh, to try to place people uh, with disabilities on boards of these uh, corporations where these decisions are being made. You know, where where in in many instances you look at at healthcare and, and other sectors, uh, we are we are neglected. We are not even considered. We're an afterthought. Uh, they react to us instead of 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 planning and deliberately, consciously taking into account uh, issues affecting people with disabilities, either in development of services or products, uh, etc. And um, if we had the presence. Uh, of at least one person with a disability. Uh, I, in a perfect world, there would be a representative of all categories uh, of people with disabilities on, on corporate boards. But uh, if we were just make that inroad there uh, and make a deliberate push um, to get us uh, on these boards, um, then I, I think that would make a material difference, um, obviously. So, you know, I keep on saying we, I, I, should, I should mention, uh, I am a person with disability 
class of 1996, uh, I sustained a spinal cord injury uh, in a horrific automobile uh, 25 years ago this month uh, that resulted in quadriplegia. So uh, I am, I am full, I'm, I'm fully in the, uh, the disability community. Uh, and that's, I, I love the work that we're doing at the council um, to address the needs of people with disabilities. And the, the last bit of our conversation here has really focused on, uh, you know, economic empowerment, economic capability and capacity for people with disabilities. Uh, an aspect of that is financial literacy and financial independence. Uh, there's been a, a longstanding issue that the American Council of the Blind has been advocating for with the, the U.S. Treasury as well as the Bureau of Engraving and Printing, and that is to have accessible uh, paper currency. It's something that uh, many of us have witnessed and interact with globally. Uh, you know, we, we know it's possible. Our, our peers overseas um, have had it for quite some time now. Uh, and, and this is an issue that, that NCD has been supportive of uh, with, with statements of interest in the past. So this issue's garnered some increased focus and attention, certainly over the past uh, two years, as there's been discussion about the redesigning of either the 10 or the $20 bill to include the, the portrait of a woman. Uh, most recently, the, the conversation has been to include the portrait of Harriet Tubman on the $20 bill. Uh, which then candidate Biden said that he would like to have done by 2024. Uh, there's been numerous articles written over the past year, uh, correctly recognizing that redoing the, the portrait of U.S. currency would constitute a, a currency redesign. And in line with a court ruling from 2008, all future currency redesigns must include accessibility features for uh, people who are blind. And yet, since 2008, this, this has not happened, whether it's the, the Treasury and the Bureau of Engraving and Printing citing uh, security concerns. Uh, the, the dates for currency redesigns keep getting postponed. So the, if the Harriet Tubman 20 is not done by 2024, the next slated currency redesign is 2026. Uh, just curious to hear your thoughts, the thoughts of NCD on you know, why it's taking so long and what else can be done to ensure that U.S. currency is accessible to everyone. So uh, thank you for that. The Look, as, as to the first question is, you know, why it's taking so long and why the delay, um, I, I, we have no explanation uh, for that. Um, I, can, I can tell you that the National Council on Disability uh, is very interested in this particular issue. And as you mentioned, uh, we've come out in support, strong support uh, of the ACBs uh, and the other um, uh, uh, organizations in the community, uh, not just affecting people uh, who are blind, but also people uh, with intellectual and developmental disabilities uh, and an expanding aging population um, to to get this issue particularly addressed. I mean, it's affecting, you know, over an estimated 20 million uh, plus 
uh, Americans with blindness, low vision, intellectual and developmental disabilities. Uh, and as I mentioned, also the expanding uh, aging population. Uh, the delays in making the U.S. currency adequately accessible um, must not continue. Uh, we believe that it's, it's good policy for individuals uh, with disabilities, both nationally and internationally. And as a country as a whole, that our currency be made accessible sooner uh, rather than later uh, in compliance with U.S. law and the federal regulations and, and the court case that, that you alluded to, Clark. Um, you know, it's, it, the administrations change uh, every four years or in some instances every, every eight years. And uh, I think with the current administration, we just need to keep that issue at the forefront and, and make a, a, a more deliberate outreach uh, to the Treasury Department, reminding them of what our position is and what the interest is uh, in getting this done. And, and, and maybe that would have uh, some effect, but it, it's something that we should not just um, rest on, on advice and recommendations that we made that we made years ago. We need to be more timely uh, in making those recommendations now. Yep, absolutely. Um, so we touched on a lot of topics today. Um, is there anything else you want to highlight on Chairman Gallegos from NDD? Look, I, I, just, I just think that we have to be uh, very deliberate and very clear that uh, if the infrastructure bill is ever passed, uh, that when we build back better, uh, building back better has to include uh, uh, inclusiveness. And um, particularly when we look at uh, when we build out our infrastructure, uh, the public rights of way, uh, sidewalks, curb cuts, uh, crosswalkings, accessible. We need to make sure that they're accessible uh, and detectable, uh, including uh, you know, the use of accessible uh, pedestrian signals uh, and other devices, uh, whether it's audible tones, verbal messages, you know, vibrating services, et cetera, to make sure uh, that we're inclusive. It would be a shame uh, and a, a poor use of, of federal financial dollars uh, to build something that's not inclusive and that is not accessible. And, um, you know, that is something that is a message that we need to be more deliberate uh, uh, about and ensure that uh, all these investments, whether it's in the infrastructure, uh, whether it's in new technologies that are emerging and may emerge with federal assistance like autonomous vehicles, uh, that those uh, become accessible. Um, we we haven't talked about uh, you know our our ability to access uh, fitness facilities and and have fitness equipment that's that's going to be accessible. But that's an, another critical issue. So I mean, you you could look at every aspect of our lives and identify um, things that need to be uh, enhanced to ensure that we are fully integrated. Uh, into society and that we have every opportunity uh, to advance uh, and take care of our health, our well-being, our economic well-being and prosperity, uh, just like our non-disabled counterparts. So uh, there's a lot to do. Uh, we, we remain committed uh, to doing uh, everything that we can uh, to help um, give the best advice we possibly can um, to our federal partners, uh, to the president and administration. And, and we certainly count on uh, ACB uh, to uh, continue to have communications with us 
uh, in uh, advising us on, on issues affecting their community and their members. Chairman Gallegos, the, the last topics that you just raised are you know, so vital to our members. Uh, this year, ACB launched our Get Up and Get Moving campaign, a, a multi-year effort uh, for our members and the broader community to be able to take control of our health and wellness for greater independence. And that is inextricably linked to our ability to move freely throughout our communities. Um, folks from our transportation and environmental access committees will uh, be very pleased to hear you highlight the need for accessible pedestrian signals. Uh, oh, absolutely. And, and I'll add, especially when leading pedestrian interval signalization is utilized um, so that folks can navigate their communities safely, whether that's for getting to school, running errands, going to work, or going to that neighborhood gym or fitness facility. Um, because whether it's working with uh, you know, government, the, the access board, NCD, or the work that ACB is doing with the, the private sector. Uh, we need to ensure that folks have access to accessible exercise and fitness equipment so that we can take back our health and that we can uh, you know, prevent these chronic conditions, like we mentioned diabetes earlier, obesity, heart disease, um, so that you know, we don't have to rely on uh, accessible, durable medical equipment once acquiring these conditions um, you know, due to our inaccessible and isolating environments. So uh, points well taken in that regard. Thank you for raising that topic. Yeah, a- absolutely. And that's, you know, that's, that's critical for everyone, right? These, these issues uh, just are not about one particular segment of the disability community, but the, but the disability community overall, right? I mean, we're, we're 64 million people uh, and growing. Um, you know, we, we talk a lot, Clark, about uh, the, the things that affect us uh, here in the country. Uh, we need to be more deliberate, and we're beginning to be more deliberate at, at NCD to ensure uh, that we include people uh, with disabilities in our territories as well mm. and in our tribal lands. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I just mentioned that because uh, sometimes we, we lose sight of of what their needs are as well. You know, the Americans with Disabilities Act is, is a misnomer because it's just not Americans. Uh, if, if you're not a U.S. citizen, doesn't mean uh, that you don't have the rights and protections under, under the Americans with Disabilities Act. You certainly do. Uh, and that's, that's true for uh, people who reside in our territories as well. Mr. Chairman, that's a great point. And I think that a lot of the work that we do, especially when it comes to uh, technology and broadband access, um, you yeah. know, focusing on folks with disabilities, but it's, it's policies and programs that benefit folks in other socioeconomic groups, whether it's low income, rural communities, tribal communities, um, the, the same advancements in technology and availability and affordability are going to be the, the programs that help folks from those communities gain greater access and opportunity as well, right? And I think we've seen that over the past couple of years uh, with our, our efforts to expand access to accessible remote and absentee voting, uh, right. making sure that folks who cannot access a polling location 
whether due to lack of transportation infrastructure, due to a, a state of emergency, um, or uh, folks that don't have access to uh, mailing a, a standard print paper ballot, again, because they could be on uh, tribal lands or they could be print disabled. The, the solutions available, um, currently available, but the solutions that will assist folks with disabilities are the same solutions that can be used um, to address the needs of, of many more populations and certainly those at the intersection of uh, rural, tribal, um, and disability as well. Yeah, you know, I, 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 amen. I mean, I, I often say that uh, w- what a wonderful time to be a person with disability in this country, uh, given where we are uh, with technological advances that, um, that have certainly uh, been created since I've uh, joined the community 25 years ago and, and the things that are, are being developed now and, and, and the things that we can forecast in the future. Um, and, and how easy is it to design those things from the inception to address the needs of people with disabilities as opposed to um, reacting afterwards once we point out that they're not accessible. So um, we, we have a way to go, but I'm, I'm encouraged uh, certainly by uh, the leadership at ACB. And uh, at, at the moment, we have the right federal partners, I believe, uh, to make a difference, but uh, we need to keep, keep working. Well, Mr. Chairman, thank you so much for your time and joining us for this conversation here today. Uh, We look forward to building our relationship uh, between ACB and the National Council on Disability. uh, And we hope to have you back soon to uh, see how some of these policies have advanced here in the the second half of President Biden's uh, first term and as we uh, progress in through the 117th Congress. It was my absolute pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, when, when you start talking about sandwiches again, uh, count me in. Uh, I, I, can, I can contribute to that conversation as well there. Well, we, we should all have a sandwich to celebrate your uh, 25th anniversary there we of, go. of joining there the we movement. Go. Right. Yeah, uh, Cubanos for everybody who's listening there. Oh, good. There we go. And uh, Mr. Chairman, for folks who want to learn more about the the great work that National Council on Disability is doing, what's the what's the best way to do that? Please uh, look at our website at ncd.gov, ncd.gov, right? And uh, we will send to you uh, all of our social media uh, handles so that you have that available uh, for your uh, members as well. And that's great. We'll be sure to include that in our our podcast description and and share that widely. Mm -hmm. So again, uh, Chairman Andres Gallegos from the National Council on Disability, thank you so much for your time here speaking with the ACB Advocacy Update today. Great. Listen, uh, both you, Clark and and Swatha, thank you so very much uh, for for thinking of us and for having me. uh, You know, you, you have friends on the National Council on disability and, you know, anything we could do to strengthen the relationship and continue uh, be smarter in our advocacy and, and policy recommendations on issues affecting uh, the blind, the deaf blind, people with low vision, um, we're, we're here for you. And for folks out there, if you have any advocacy questions, Swatha, what's the best way for them to get in touch with us? Email us at 
advocacy at acb.org or call me at 202-467-5081. And we'll close out the podcast the same way we always do by saying, keep advocating. This episode of the ACB Advocacy Update has been made possible in part through the support of ACB of Minnesota. ACBM wants to send along heartfelt greetings to all of its family throughout the ACB community. Having hosted two outstanding and invigorating ACB national conventions, they are committed to expanding opportunity for Americans who are blind and visually impaired. ACBM supports the James R. Olson Memorial Scholarship honoring one of its past members, and they continue to not let life during these challenging times slow down. ACBM invites all to their informative bi-monthly community conference calls, ranging on everything from sports and technology to gardening and loving life in the land of 10,000 lakes. They hold quarterly monthly membership meetings, monthly coffee gatherings, and monthly board meetings. To learn more about ACBM, visit their website at www acbminnesota.org or call 612-223-5543. ACBM, a supporter of the ACB Media Network.